But we've been working our way on Sunday morning again through the book of Acts, and uh, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 14 today, but on the top of your outline, I like to always begin with a, with a timeline. And as you'll recall, we said each week that the book of Acts begins in about 30 AD, and it's going to cover a timeline for about the next 35 years as to what took place in the early church. It's going to give us what they did, what they believed, and, and what was most important, and how it was responded to. But when we come to Acts chapter 13 and 14, this is the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, and we've been looking at that. But I want you to write down that this takes place between 48 and 50 AD. The idea is Paul's on a missionary journey that takes a couple of years, and so it begins probably in about 48 AD. We'll wrap up sometime in 50 AD. Some people make it a little bit longer, and uh, but, but the, the point that I want to make is that it's been about 20 years since Jesus has gone back to heaven, the church has, has been birthed, the gospel's going forward. And as we've been following Paul's missionary journey, we've been looking at a map. So if I could go to that, you'll recall there on the right side of the screen, there's this town of Antioch. Antioch is a large, uh, in there, there is a large Gentile church. And uh, this church decides to send Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. So they go down to Cyprus. Cyprus is about 140 miles. And so each week they go through different synagogues. So this is taking some time. This is not something they did in three weeks. And then as they go through that, then they come up to this area we, we know as a Pamphylia, and uh, they go north to this other town of Antioch, which is in the region that is known as Galatia. Now, the reason uh, I want to highlight Antioch here, you notice there's an Antioch, which is the sending church, and now they're in another town that's also called Antioch. It was a common name for towns, just like we have Hollywood in California, but we also have Hollywood in, in, in uh, Florida. So they're in the region of Galatia, and what we find, what we found is that Paul has been continuing to be ran out of town. And the other thing that I, I want to highlight real quickly is Paul comes to this there at Antioch. He's ran out of town. He's going to go to Iconium, and then he's going to go down to Lystra and Derby, and we'll talk about that today. But from Antioch up there in Galatia down to Lystra is going to be about 110 miles, and that's going to be important for our, our study today. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. 14, and it says, in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such, such a manner that a large number of the people believed, both Jews and of Greeks. So there's, there's, there's response here. But the Jews who had disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against, against the brethren. This would be the religious leadership there in the local synagogue. Verse 3 it says, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance. Now it says a long time, I'm, I'm uh, probably about six months. And so that, that makes uh, most sense. Most would hold about six months. With reliance upon the Lord, that's going to be important because there's going to be a growing opposition, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done at their hands. So as Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel, God is using, as people are becoming believers, they're also experiencing miracles. But I want to say something about miracles, and this will be important for our study today. Go ahead and, and uh, I, I think this is already filled in for you, but miracles don't bring faith. Does, does it say that? Is, is that grammatically correct, by the way? 
Okay, so um, uh, if not, then I'll say somebody else wrote that. But, but if it is, then, then they'll take credit. But, but miracles, keep in mind that miracles never bring faith. And if miracles brought faith, because what we say, you know, if this person experienced a miracle, they would believe. Well, that's not true. That's not true. Because if miracles brought faith, nobody would have crucified Jesus. Because if anybody did miracles, it was him. But miracles do not bring faith. So there's miracles taking place. And then you come to verse 4 and it says, but the people of the city were divided. And I want you to underline the word divided. And some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. Uh, By the way, just notice that the word apostles there is in the plural, both Barnabas and Paul here are called apostles. And in this sense, the word apostles just means those who are sent. It would not mean that they're part of the uh, original 12. Uh, Paul certainly is an apostle that way, but, but the word apostles just means somebody that's sent. But what we see here is that the, the town is divided. And so one of the things we find about the gospel, and you want to write this down, is that the gospel will bring division. It'll bring hostility. People either accept it or they reject it. And what you're going to find with the gospel is that there are times when there's just a hostility against it. So verse 5 it goes on, and when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, uh, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. So they are aware of a plot. Now keep in mind this is a very Gentile area. There is a synagogue locally. But under the Roman Empire you didn't, you didn't stone people, you crucified them. And you didn't crucify somebody or kill them without due process. But here the hatred about the gospel is so intense. Nobody wants to have due process. They just want to kill Barnabas and Paul for this gospel that they're preaching. And so uh, they're willing to break whatever law they have to break. That's not an issue. So they flee. So they, they leave. And Paul would often use persecution as, a, as the, the realizing it's time to go to the next place. So he goes to Lystra. And so verse 7 it says, they, they went to um, Lystra, Derby, and the surrounding region, and it says, verse 7, there they continued to preach the gospel. Now how many of your Bibles say they continued to preach the good news? Okay, that's important. So keep in mind, uh, there's a plot to kill them, and yet they're, they're fleeing for their lives, but they're still preaching, it's still good news. It's still good news, that doesn't change. And so then you come to verse 8, and it says, at Lystra. Now, one of the things we want to just highlight here is this will be the first place in Paul's journey where he does not start at a synagogue. And, um, the, and that's not because he's changing his method. He always starts at a synagogue, but there is no synagogue. This is a completely Gentile area. So keep that in mind as we go. So at Lystra, a man who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, Paul sees the man, and he had seen that he had faith to be made well. Some of your Bibles might say faith to be healed. That said with a loud voice, Paul speaking, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and he began to walk. So here's a man here in this town of Lystra, who's listening to Paul, who's never walked in his life, and, and one of the things that you, you want to, just to keep some perspective, Paul is at Lystra, but you want to write this down just for perspective, is that Paul may have been preaching there for months, for months. This is not that Paul 
you know, came in on a Tuesday night, set up a meeting, and uh, all this happened. He may have been there for months. Now, the reason that we know that is because we're going to find on literally the next day, uh, or next couple of days, it says that there are disciples there, which is not something that happens overnight. So Paul's been there for a while, and we'll see that as we go. Also important, verse 9, it says that Paul, this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he fixed his gaze upon him, had seen that he, that is the man, had faith to be made well. It's important to note that this miracle took place because of the man's faith. And you want to write that down. It was not Paul's faith. It was the man's faith. When you go through the Gospels, three out of four times when there is a healing, Jesus performs a miracle, he will say something like, be it done according to your faith. Your faith has made you well. Daughter, your faith is great. Seeing their faith. And it's always about their faith. Jesus never says, according to my faith, he always points to, to their faith as what God uses in order to, to heal. Um, certainly Jesus healed, and it doesn't say that they had faith a couple of times, but three out of four times Jesus points to their faith. Here we see that this man has faith to be healed. A couple of weeks ago, we stopped and we talked about faith. And one of the things that we talked about there on your outline from Romans 10, it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so uh, we tend to believe what we hear and hear and hear and hear. And so there's something going on where Paul is preaching and the man's probably already given his life to the Lord, but he's hearing and hearing and hearing And at a certain point, he concludes, I think God wants to heal me. I believe God wants to heal me. So what we get from that is, and you want to write this down, the man's faith reveals the content of Paul's message. If all Paul ever talked about was going to heaven, then the man would have had faith in going to heaven, which I'm I'm sure that he does, and that's great. But it wouldn't have made him think that God would want to heal him in the here and now. Now, the reason that's so important is that whatever it is that Paul is talking about is causing this man to believe that God wants to heal him now. Uh, Many of us come from a church background. When we talk about being saved, it has only to do with going to heaven. How many of you come from a church background like that? I, I certainly did. It was only about going to heaven. But when you look at the word saved in the original language there in your outline, the word there is sozo. It means to save, to deliver, or protect. And so I've underlined the word deliver. It's translated into the English, in the King James Version at least, as heal, preserve, save, do well, or to be made whole or make whole. So the word was not just about going to heaven. Now, that's important because many of us struggle with believing God for healing in the here and now because we were only taught that being saved meant going to heaven. And so it doesn't even occur to us that that God wants to heal in the here and now. Some of us come from a church background where we were taught that God sometimes makes us sick to bring him glory. So so God will make us sick, and as we die a slow and painful and miserable death, 
and we don't renounce our faith, somehow that causes us to experience God's love in a, in a deeper way, and we come to know him in a, in, a, in a more wonderful way, in a deeper way, and people look on as we die this slow, painful death, and they say, I want what you have. And, and, and so some of us have been taught that. But I want you to consider, we have a number of children in our house, and if you were to find out that I was slowly torturing one of my children to death, and you came by and I said, no, this is the greatest thing ever, because it's in this slow, painful torture they're gonna, that's how they're going to know that I really love them and how I, I care for them. And they're going to experience me in a, in a deeper way and they're going to really come to appreciate me. No? Okay. So, so, but what we do is what we would never do as parents here, we put on God as though he does that to us. Some of us will say, you know, God sent this disease, this ailment upon me because he wanted to teach me something. And so we think God sins in order to teach us something. I'm not saying that God can't use it to teach us, but does God send it to teach us? So many of you know that in our family, one of the things that we chose to do is we go camping. And my job when we go camping is I get up before everybody else and I go out and I make the fire. So then the kids come out and they all sit around the fire. One by one, they come out. And so imagine if I said, you know, I need to teach my kids. I need to teach them about fire. So they come out in the morning and I grab their little hand and I stick it in the fire and it's burning and they're screaming, you know. Some other campers come by and uh, they go, what are you doing? I go, this is so great. I'm, I'm going to teach my children about fire and, uh, and what this is going to do is they're going to come to know how much I love them in this and they're going to experience me in a much deeper way as I burn the skin off their hand. What do you think about that? Would, would you say, you should write a book on parenting. This is amazing. <laughs> Why didn't I think of this sooner? Or, or, would you say, or, or would you say that, yes, children need to learn about fire, but burning their hand off, there's probably a better method than that. Do you agree? And, and so the reason I say that is because uh, we're going to see that God does not send that on people. I'm not saying that those things don't come upon us. We live in a fallen world, but God does not send that on us to teach us. We might learn some things in the midst of it, but, but he doesn't send that to it. Now, the reason that's so important is that you're going to have a very hard time believing in God for healing if at the same time you're thinking that he's the one that did this to you is the idea. So keep that in mind as, as we go. So this man has been healed. In verse 11 it says, now when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language. That's important. Paul doesn't speak Lyconian. Uh, Paul speaks Greek. He speaks Hebrew. He probably speaks Latin. This is a local language. He does not speak that. He does not understand what's going on. And so in their Lyconian language, they are saying the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. 
And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and they wanted to offer sacrifice uh, with, it, with, to, with the crowds. And, and so uh, go ahead and, and write this down. One of the things that we find is that when God uses you, the crowd will think you're more than you are, and uh, they're going to want to idolize you, or they might want to worship you. Now keep that in mind. And that's, that's true. We see that in Christian circles. People see somebody and we can put them on a pedestal. But just here the crowd wants to worship Paul. Well, verse 14, but when the apostles, just pay attention that there's, this is apostles in the plural, Barnabas and Paul, one of the few places where Barnabas would be mentioned first, heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out. And here's the message saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are, and underline, also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel. Some of your Bibles will say good news to you that you should turn from these vain or empty things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted the nations to go their ways Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. And here's the witness. In that he did good. Now underline that, we'll come back to it. And gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So a couple of things. First of all, uh, Paul is going to run out into the crowd. They're going to give this speech. Keep in mind that nobody here has a Bible background. They're completely Gentile. So Paul does not start with the scripture because they have no context with that. But the first thing that, that Paul wants to tell them as they want to sacrifice them as though they are gods, Paul says, and you want to write this down, we are just men just like you. We put our togas on one leg at a time just like you. Now that's important because even in Christian circles, some of us come from a background where we've been told that certain people are a little higher. They're a little more something else other than us. And uh, we've put people on pedestals only to find out later on they're just, they're just human. And then our faith is devastated because we thought that they were more than they were. So you, you, you find that Paul would never allow himself, nor would Peter, to have anybody think of him other than being just a man. I'm just a man is what he would say. So that's the first thing. But the second thing that I noticed in this that is important, I think, for us today in the modern church is that Paul wants them to know that we worship the God who made heaven and earth. We worship the God who made heaven and earth. Verse 15, he says, "Say, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, and here's what this living God does, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, when they would worship Zeus and Hermes, they were part of a number of gods. None of those gods were the creator God. Paul says we worship the God who is the God who created everything. He's the God of creation. And uh, so what I would want to say is that if you're here today, because you and I live in the first generation where people go to church and, and uh, they claim to believe in God, but they don't believe that he is the God who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. 
Uh, like the pagans here, they believe in another process, but they don't believe that he's the God who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Now, the reason that I, I highlight that is that if you're here today and you claim to be a worshiper of God, but you don't believe that he's the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, then right now you do not believe in the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible is the God who created everything, and you do not believe in the God that Paul talked about. And you've created another God, uh, but it's not the God of the Bible, and it's not the God that Paul talked about because Paul talks about the God who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. Does that make sense? So you want to evaluate. Make sure that you're believing the right God. Well, another thing that we find, and I think this is very important for us this week after this hurricane, the next thing that Paul says, he says you need to turn from gods who could never help you to the living God who is always good to you. He's always good to you. In verse 15, I think we underlined it, he talked about turn from these vain things And uh, the word vain there just means empty, useless, no value whatsoever. You can also translate it as as an idol. And turn to the God who is always good to you. Verse 17 says, He, speaking of God, did not leave himself without witness. In that, now here's the witness that God left and, and every pagan should have been able to see it. In that, in that he did good, make sure you underline that, and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The evidence that Paul gives that God is always good is even though they were pagan, knew nothing about God, did not follow God. God was still good. He gave them rains, so they could grow their crops, they could feed their families, they could take care of their lives. He was good to them. Paul says he was good. Did you underline where he said he was good? You want to make sure you do that. Now here's why. Because we see some will tell us that God sends sickness upon us. He says, no, he's, he's good. He's good. A hurricane hits the Bahamas this week and your insurance agency calls that an act of God. No, that's not an act of God. God is always good. He sends rain so that they could grow their crops, they could be blessed, they could live their lives, even though they didn't know him. So there's another voice that comes along to say, well, that's really God that's doing that to you. Well, remember the Bible says that Satan is a liar, and he has lied, and many times he lies to people even sitting in church. Don't believe that lie. That did not come from God. It comes from another source, another entity completely, because he's always good. He sends rain so that they could grow their crops, even though they didn't know him, he's always good. And that was the evidence that he gave. Well, verse 18, it goes on, and it says, even saying these things with difficulty, they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19, it says, the Jews came down from Antioch. This is the religious leader from Antioch, about 110 miles away. And Iconium, and having won over the crowds, and I've underlined that, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So just for fun, uh, the ones who idolized you or wanted to worship you are the same ones who later on want to stone you. They want to kill you. 
that was a lot funnier in the last service, but, but uh, so don't, don't be surprised if when God is using you, at one point people think that you're great and another day they're the very ones who want to stone you and, and do what they can to harm you. It's also interesting to me is that they hate Paul and what it is that he's teaching so much. They travel over a hundred miles in order to ruin his life. I mean, they're, they're putting a lot of effort in, in this. A hundred miles then wasn't like it is today. I mean, it took a week to go that far. And then they're there and then they've got to travel back. I mean, they, they have an incredible hatred. Um, today, the way that we tend to do that, it's also interesting as these people all claim to believe in the, in the same Bible. But uh, today, the way that we stone people is, you know, through letter writing campaigns or, or through, you know, setting up websites and things like that. But people put an inordinate amount of energy into destroying some other people. This past week, I was having a breakfast with one of my close friends, Rick Addison, up at the Grace Place in Stewart. And I was telling him about this, the, the teaching this week, and he leans across the table and he goes, you know how they stone people today? So how? He goes, modern day stoning. The stoning of modern day is now Facebook. And I thought, you know, you're right, you're right. That also was funnier in the last service. I'm just, just going to quit. I'm just, I'm done, I'm done, done. So, so anyways, so they stone Paul. And uh, interesting also in verse 19, it says they won over the crowds. The goal is always to stir up as many people as possible. And the, the, the part that we miss in this verse, be, because we come from a very different culture, but verse 19, they come down from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. They really think that he's dead, this, this, this is over. Now the part that we miss is in that day, first of all, and, and under the Roman Empire, you couldn't just stone somebody. If they wanted to kill somebody, they would use crucifixion. So this would be illegal. There's no due process. Another thing that you find is that if you came from a Jewish background, if you're going to stone somebody, you had to first drag them out of the city be, before you did because you didn't want to desecrate the city. Here, they don't care about what's right, what's wrong, what's desecrating. They hate Paul so much. They stone him in the city and then they drag him out of the city and they think he's dead. Well, they think he's dead. Some suggest that he is. Some suggest that he's just knocked out. I want to. Uh, we read that Paul was stoned, but but keep keep this in mind that when Paul was stoned, it's humiliating to be publicly stoned in front of another, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, it's painful, and when you think about that, the rocks that hitting you to the place that you would you 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 know die, but. Paul in his condition would be black, he would be blue, he'd be you know, bruised, bleeding, just you know, open sores. This is not something that takes place in three or four minutes. This is an ordeal. And, and so it's interesting, and probably not so much for our purpose, but it's just one of those things that you find interesting. It's in the midst of that, that either God brings him back from the dead or he comes back from being unconscious, but he looks around him, and it's interesting to see, after he's been stoned, who's standing around him. Now notice verse 20, and it says, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city the next day, and he went, with, went away with Barnabas to Derbe. Now the, the part that I find interesting in that is I put it from the King James, that the word standing around about is all one word, but it, the disciples stood round about him 
he rose up. And there's an interesting Greek word there because that word means to encircle or surround. Another, another dictionary would say to encompass, to encompass. And uh, so it's at this point where Bible scholars say when you go through it and uh, you've been stoned, you know, put, they think that you're, you're done. After stoning, you want to notice who's encircling you. And that word means to protect, standing guard around you. So the question is, who are those disciples that he looks up and he sees these disciples standing around him? Well, they're not named, but in a couple of chapters, now keep in mind, verse 8 told us that this was in Lystra. In a couple of chapters, we're going to be introduced to somebody who was apparently here on this day. And it says, then he came to Derbe and Lystra, I've underlined Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there named, what's his name? Timothy. Timothy. You ever heard of Timothy in the Bible? Many people believe that there's Paul, he's been beat up, he's bruised, they think it's over for him, but he looks up and there's a disciple named Timothy. And as you follow the story from here on out, you'll find that there's one person that Paul can count on, it's going to be Timothy, after everybody else has left. Well, never says that God took away the pain of this. And we, this might have been something uh, that, that he carried with him for a long time. In Corinthians, Paul talks about the pain and the scars that he had. Many people believe that this pain did not go away for, for quite some time. So he goes to Derbe, verse 21, and it says, and after he preached the gospel, some of your Bibles say good news to that city, and he'd made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what we find is he goes to this town of Derbe after being stoned, and it says they, there they make many disciples, indicating that Paul's probably there for a few months at least. But what we find is often great effectiveness comes after great pain. And that's not just life ministry, it's, it's, it's everywhere. But here, here's the point that, I, that I, I really wanted to make here. I put verse 21 on your outline from the NIV uh, my Bible says good news, but uh, my Bible says gospel, but your Bible might say good news, but it says they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And the point that I want to make is that even after being stoned, left for dead, ran out of the city, uh, harmed in the greatest way, it says he went and he preached the good news because it's still good news. And you want to write that down. The pain didn't make it bad news. It's still good news, good news. Well, verse 21 at the end, it says, after that they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Let me just put that map up real quick. There he is at Lystra. He gets stoned there. He goes down to Derbe. A few months passed. He goes back to Lystra where he was stoned, back to Iconium where he was ran out of town, and then he goes back to Antioch before he went there to evangelize, now he's going back to encourage. And uh, we're going to notice some of the encouragement. Verse 22, it says, he goes, he goes to uh, Antioch ultimately. Verse 22, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And uh, I've underlined the word disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. You want to underline this. It says, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then when they had appointed elders, 
they, for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul goes back and he goes to encourage these, these churches. And uh, what hits me is that if you're going to encourage believers to continue in the faith, the way that you encourage them to continue in the faith is you have to tell them the truth. You have to tell them the truth. And here is the truth that Paul tells them, which encourages them so they're not surprised later on. And in verse 22, I actually put it there on your outline. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The idea, it's a warning of coming trials. Have you noticed that sometimes being a Christian isn't easy? Am I the only one? And and notice something about this word here on your outline, through many tribulations. The word there, many, is polis in the Greek. It expresses not mere quantity or number, but variety. The idea is many kinds of tribulations. So the idea is that when these things happen, we're not surprised. We're not surprised. And they weren't surprised. And they, they, they were there when Paul got ran out. They've heard about him being stoned. They've, they've heard about all the, the difficulties that took place. Now, the reason that's so important is that many in modern church world embrace a very different gospel. And the gospel that they embrace is that I accept Jesus so Jesus can come alongside of me to help me accomplish my goals, my dreams, my desires, my aspirations. But at the time where there's difficulty, there's rejection, somebody doesn't like them, they go through a difficult time, they're mad at God because how could God let this happen to them? That's not the gospel that Paul gives. Paul says, as we're on our way to heaven, there's going to be many tribulations. So you don't want to be surprised. And the reason that many people are surprised is because they were told the gospel is something completely different. So if I do go through a time of illness, if I do go through a time of rejection, maybe a stoning you might say, or, or we watch as a hurricane goes through and it doesn't hit us, it hits them, but what, what about when it hits us? I don't get mad at God and say, how did you let this happen to me? I, I realize that this isn't heaven. But what it does is it makes me look forward to going to heaven where these things don't happen. But here in this life, there's going to be some times of difficulty. Have you experienced that? And so when it happens, you don't get mad at God because this isn't heaven. We look forward to heaven when these things happen because we know that there it doesn't happen. Well, hopefully you find that helpful, but if you're here today and you've embraced the gospel that says everything's supposed to be perfect all the time, that was not Paul's experience. God loves to do great things in our life He loves to set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He loves to provide for us abundantly, but that doesn't mean that life is always easy. 
and that everybody accepts. Well, verse 23, it goes on, it says, when they had anointed or appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord with whom they had believed. Um, One of the things that we find is the word elder there, just real quick, is the word presbyteros in the original language from which we get the English word Oh, come on, don't be afraid. I'm not going to say, I'm not setting you up. You're going to get it right. Let's try to get the, the Greek word is presbyteros, from where we get the English word. There you go. So, yeah, you'll never get it wrong here. And, and so many people take this as, and they turn it into a church government. That was not the intent. The word presbyteros there is, it just means elder. So, uh, for instance, um, you could be part of the Sanhedrin and you'd be called a presbyteros. You could be part of the church and be called a presbyteros. But one of the interesting things, and we'll talk about this more when we get to chapter 20, uh, write this down. As Paul is leaving, he prays and appoints leaders and trusts God. Paul never appoints elders until he leaves the church. Uh, it's, it's always when he's leaving the church, not when he gets there. Well, verse 24, they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. When they'd spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, which is where the church that sent them. From there they had been com- from where they'd been commended to the grace of God for the work that had been accomplished. And when they had arrived, they gathered the church together and began to report all these things and that God had done with them and how he'd opened a great door for the Gentiles. And they spent a long time there with the disciples. So Paul doesn't live in the state of perpetual persecution. God gives us great time of, uh, of rest. Did you find that at least interesting today? Have you noticed that this isn't heaven? And, and so don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when this is not heaven. But when these things happen, they make us look forward to going to heaven where these things don't take place. With that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we know that you always send good. You're not sending bad things upon us. We know that we live in a fallen world and sometimes we've got to walk through some bad times. Uh, but Lord, we know that you don't send those to us. Father, I pray that as we go forward, Lord, maybe just being able to share that you're the one who did good things, good things for people, even though they didn't know you, they didn't reverence you. And Lord, that you would use us in this time to be a great witness to, for you Uh, to the people that you've placed around us. Father, thank you for this congregation, their love for you, their love for the word. And I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.